The sky-high cost of real estate in the Vancouver area has people in the Lower Mainland looking at creative solutions to be able to afford their own home. For some, this has meant going halfers on a house with total strangers, splitting the mortgage and the space. I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10-3. Vancouver Sun reporter Lori Culbert joins me to discuss why this is taking off in Vancouver, what some of the pros and cons are, and how co-homeowners are managing the arrangements. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon Music. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about the show. So, Lori, most people in Canada know that Vancouver and the Vancouver area is home to some eye-popping home prices. But just how eye-popping are we talking about in Vancouver? Like, what would a three-bedroom home run you in that neck of the woods. So we just got the statistics released from the uh, Greater Vancouver Real Estate Board this morning. And um, so it's showing that across Metro Vancouver for a single family detached home, the average price is 1.8 million. But that's across the region. So if you're talking about the actual city of Vancouver, on the east side of the city, it's 1.9 million for your average single family detached home. It goes up to 3.5 million on the west side of the city. Uh, if you think you're going to move just a little bit south to the city of Richmond, it's 2.2 million. If you want to go just a little bit north to the city of North Vancouver, it's 2.3 million. And, and so, like when you think about like the ability for people to buy a home. And those kind of prices, how unattainable is home ownership in the Vancouver area? You know, we're seeing places like our city hall in Vancouver start to implement, you know, policies that are trying to make things more affordable, um, just to allow people to get into the market. For example, they're now allowing if you own a single family home, you can um, have up to four different units on your property. So you could have, for example, two secondary suites and a laneway house. I mean, they're trying to make home ownership as affordable as possible. And we're building so many towers filled with condos. Um, but again, those are tiny and it's really difficult to raise a family of four or five in 800 square feet in a condo. And so I imagine that has people looking at, you know, creative ways of getting into a home. And and one of the things that that you uncovered was this idea of house sharing. How did you hear about this practice? So we, because everyone in Vancouver is real estate crazy, it's it's the main topic at any dinner party you go to. Uh, the newspaper I work for, the Vancouver Sun, we run a segment uh, once a week called Bought and Sold. And it just highlights, if, you know, a few sales that have happened that week of houses. People love to talk about how expensive they were and how quickly they sold after being on the market. And one of the houses advertised said that 55% of the house was sold that week. And so my features editor, Hardeep Johal, sent me a note and said, what's up with that? And so I contacted the uh, buying agent, a realtor named Noam Dolgan, and asked him the question. And much to my dis surprise, discovered that there's a budding trend in Vancouver, and not just Vancouver, in parts of British Columbia, of complete strangers banding together to buy homes in order to afford them. And and so are we talking about, you know, families like adult siblings 
deciding to get a home together? Are we talking about multi-generational cohabitation or what kind of arrangements are we talking about here? So those examples that you just gave have been going on for generations, right? Um, And we see that in cities such as Surrey, uh, that you have multi-generations living in one home. Maybe you've got friends after university going together to buy a house. Lots of examples of that. But in this case, what this realtor is doing is he is um, holding matchmaking sessions uh, and real estate tours to bring complete strangers together in order to split a mortgage and and split a home uh, so that they can afford to get into the market. And so is it is it just affordability? Like, what is that the main reason that people are giving for wanting to enter this sort of arrangement? No, because if it was just affordability, they could, as I said earlier, likely afford to buy a condo in downtown Vancouver or a single family detached home in the suburbs, say, uh, you know, Abbotsford or Maple Ridge. But, you know, moving to the suburbs is looking at a long commute into the city if that's where they work. A condo means that you're very limited for space if you have children and you have no backyard. So the people that I spoke with who, you know, are, are participating in this really fascinating social experiment say that what was driving them is a desire to um, have a home with a yard and a bit more space, maybe a playroom for their kids, that's um, walkable to work or walkable to grocery stores, that's on a transit line, um, that's near parks and community centers, it's near their kids' school. And they had a list of, um, of you know, what they consider to be um, a livable property for their family. and. But at the end of the day, they could never afford it. Even with both parents working with a dual income family, they just couldn't afford it on their own. So I can imagine this would be an enticing possibility for people, even though the arrangement might be kind of unorthodox, I guess. I'm just curious, has it grown in popularity? Are we seeing more of these things? What do the stats say? So, you know, it's there's not actually anyone collecting stats specifically on strangers buying homes together. The realtor I spoke with, uh, well, in fact, I spoke with two different realtors who both said anecdotally over the last three or four years, they're seeing an increase. But um, a professor at Simon Fraser University, Andy Yan, who's a bit of a data wizard, he drilled deep into uh, Statistics Canada census data. And he found this category um, that's called uh, multiple property maintainers. And it sounds a bit arcane, but what it really means is it counts how many people in a single household are helping to pay either the mortgage or the rent. And I'm not talking here about a house that has a secondary suite. So maybe there's someone paying rent in the secondary suite because the secondary suite is a separate household. So we're talking about how many people in one household are are contributing to the rent. And he looked at how many households in Vancouver have three or more people that are paying either the mortgage or the rent and found that that increased from 3% in 2001 to 8% in 2021. So, you know, I think what we can conclude from that is we don't know how many of those people, of course, are strangers buying houses together, but it does show the people are increasingly 
coming together and living together to try to afford real estate in Canada's hottest market. And is it just like Vancouver proper or is this spreading across the lower mainland? It's definitely spreading. So Surrey, which is a city outside of Vancouver, it had the biggest jump in uh, households that had multiple maintainers from 4% in 2001 to 13% in 2021. You know, and Noam, the realtor, he told me that, you know, he helped two sisters in Victoria on Vancouver Island buy a home by finding them a stranger because they needed three people to 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 go in on the purchase. There are examples, um, definitely, uh, you know, in Horseshoe Bay, which is on the Sea to Sky Highway on the way to Whistler, a, a very um, interesting case there of eight people coming together to buy a series of cottages on the water with and sharing one mortgage. We'll be right back. You know, when you think about it, at least when I was reading your piece and I was thinking about it, I'm like, wow, sharing a home is quite a commitment. Even, you know, my immediate family, my my partner, my two kids, it can be a lot just with us sometimes. So like, how did you manage, how did the people you talked to manage to find others they felt comfortable living with? So a lot of it comes down to these realtors that are starting to specialize in this. And um, as I think I mentioned earlier, they run websites that, for example, um, offer speed dating for um, people that want to buy real estate together. So you'd attend a Zoom call with multiple people on the call and chat and see you know, who might be interesting to you as a possible co-owner. And after the Zoom call, then you'd make arrangements to, to um, meet up and see if you could be compatible. The realtors also uh, post classified ads um, that uh, in which you can list, you know, a brief description of your family and what type of house you're looking for and what square footage and how much money you have to spend on your half of the mortgage. Gnome also runs what he calls shareable home tours. And so he makes a list of houses in East Vancouver that could be easily divided into for two families to share and then invites people to uh, come on these tours. And, and you know, when he, sh- you know, sh- I've, I've talked to various different couples for this story that have met in all of those different ways. And, um, yeah, it's it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And you know, when it when it comes to sharing the actual physical space, are they sharing common space? Like they're all kind of in one household? Are they renovating to have their own space? Are they, you know, they're creating separate spaces but share maybe the kitchen? Like how is that playing out logistically? So typically they are taking a single family home. Many of these examples have been in East Vancouver, which uh, a lot of the homes will be, you know, two stories plus basement, and they will split those in two to create two private living spaces, each with their own bedrooms, bathrooms, kitchen. But they will share typically the yard And in some cases, like one of the families I spoke with, because they both have small children, they created a shared playroom in the basement where the kids can play together in addition to sharing the front and backyards. And, you know, there's other things that 
some of these couples share, as they pointed out to me, for example, you know, lawnmowers, you just have to have one of those. And so they, they, they kind of go into these arrangements, um, talking about where they want their privacy and where they are willing to share spaces and items. And I, I, I was curious about this and, and, you know, this idea of coming together and sharing the space potentially with complete strangers, is it creating for them like community, like, you know, kind of built in friendships? Do they have to navigate the kind of troubles that, you know, roommates would potentially have to navigate? What's that relationship like for them? So th- this, the various people I spoke to with for this article talk about you know, the pros and the cons. Um, And what they say is that their advice, like some of them went in very early, maybe less prepared. Others have tried this experiment more recently and were more prepared. But what they all say is communication is key on the way in and setting really explicit rules, understanding exactly what's going to be allowed and not allowed in the house. So, you know, establish if, one family likes to have blowout late night weekend parties and the other family wants to go to bed at eight o'clock every night. Um, smoking, cats or dogs. Uh, do you want a perfectly manicured lawn or do you are you happy with, you know, a bit of clover and moss covering your property? So they all talk about, you know, having these very specific uh, agreements in place ahead of time. Um, The biggest one is the exit strategy. What happens if one of the couples wants to move? So are we required to sell the whole house at that point? Um, Are we going to bring in a new owner that will be agreeable for the remaining owners? Um, But at the end of the day, in particular, the people that have children have said it's been a real sense of community in the sense that, you know, their their kids play together. They They can help out, you know, temporarily watching someone's kids if someone has to run out at the end of the day. Um, the people at the cottages in Horseshoe Bay, they talk about, you know, sharing the landscaping because there's a lot of trees and flowers. And, you know, I don't want to make it sound too Pollyanna, um, you know, because all of the people I interviewed are also super clear that they 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 don't live their lives with the people they're sharing their home ownership with, but they are friendly with them in the sense that they're trying to make it a compatible arrangement. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you did mention that one of the, the big question is, well, what happen if, happens if someone wants to leave? And in your story, you talked about, as you mentioned, there was that piece that kind of sparked this whole investigation was this, you know, 55% of a house for sale. How does that get navigated with a real estate agent, with the families, and I, I guess even you know with with lenders. How do you approach a lender saying I want to buy into fifty five percent of a house? Do you get a new mortgage on that dollar figure, or do you sign on to the existing mortgage? How does that play out? You sign on to the existing mortgage because in every single one of these cases, there's just one mortgage. Um, now, when it comes to lawyers and banks, I'm told by the realtors that are involved in these sales that they're getting better. Uh, Van City is a credit union that we have here who has kind of a flex mortgage. So, But I understood three or four years ago, it was very difficult to get lawyers and banks to even wrap their heads around how this could possibly work. 
When it comes to the people involved in these transactions, I spoke with a woman who is currently, you know, she's owned, she's co-owned a house for several years. Her co-owner is has her portion up for sale for 50% of the house. And, and so the arrangement that they came to is that the co-owner who's selling has they've set an agreed price and the price is non-negotiable. That is the price. So if you're interested in in that half of the house, you can't come in higher or lower. It's a set price. And the and the owner who's staying is interviewing all the prospective buyers so that she can have sign off on who is going to move into the top half of the house where she lives with her son. And thinking about this piece kind of on the whole, what was the most surprising thing for you about it? Was it just the fact that people are doing it or was there something else about it that kind of caught you off guard? For sure. The fact that people are doing it was very intriguing and what got us looking into the story. But I guess what I found, you know, quite surprising and interesting is the organization that had to go into and the planning that had to go into, you know, these transactions before they happened. Um, I think about you know, the Horseshoe Bay example that I mentioned earlier. It's eight 100-year-old cottages that the um, the original owner didn't want to see torn down for redevelopment. They were primed to be ripped down and redeveloped, given that they had an ocean view in Horseshoe Bay. And so, you know, a group of existing tenants started looking for um, new buyers or new people that might want to come in and live in these eight cottages. It was very, very complicated, uh, the, you know, the way that they had to set this up. They were forging new ground the whole way, but they were so determined to do it because as one of the owners said to me, he now owns his own little tiny cottage. It's about 600 square feet. But it's, it's his own house in one of the most expensive real estate jurisdictions in Canada. He owns it, and he never, ever in his wildest dreams thought he'd ever own a, own a house in West Vancouver. And, um, you know, it's complicated some days, but he's making it work, and he's learning to share a mortgage with seven complete strangers and share all the, the jobs and the duties that, that come with owning property. Well, it certainly is a fascinating look at, at a real estate market that I think a lot of Canadians are curious about. Lori, thanks for your time. Thanks so much, Dave. It's always a pleasure to be on your show. 10-3 is produced by Tyler Dawson. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Lori Colbert. More from her at VancouverSun.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.